Welcome to the Mortise and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 36. I'm Joshua Klein. And I'm Mike Uptograph. And it's getting into November and winter season around here. Yep. Uh, time to get up on the roof. Time to get outside and get those construction projects done while it's really <laughs> uncomfortable out mm-hmm. there. Yep. It's funny how we do that. The summertime when it's beautiful and sunny and once the bugs are left, that would be the ideal time. Nope. But, well, we did take down a barn this year. We did. That was so pretty that nice. Yeah. But yeah, we're finishing the roof, uh, shingling the blacksmith shop, doing a lot of that stuff. And we have uh, the the second term of the... Has, yeah, our Mortise and Tenon Apprenticeship Program yep. has filled right up. Uh, so registration is closed down for that. Uh, so term two... Uh, we've got more students this time than last time. Mm-hmm. We opened up uh, a handful more slots because uh, what took, how long last time? Last time it took two days to fill. To fill. And to get that same number of students took us four hours. Yeah. This so time. we're like, let's add more this time. Yeah, I think we slots. can handle it. So uh, we open up more and we're we're all filled up. So um, this term begins on December the 6th and then... Uh, we will have, you know, that the term lasts for eight weeks. And after that, the next term will open. So what does that push us back to? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But we'll eight let you know before, after December before it happens. The so I'm going to say uh, in February, the next term will open up. Yep. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You'll be hearing more about uh, the apprenticeship program. You can check out on our website, Um we have uh, a website for the apprenticeship program where you can read testimonials and things like that. And that's mtapprenticeship.com. Yep. And uh, we have we got lots of great testimonials from term one. Mm-hmm. Uh, our yeah. students were very thoughtful and reflective and uh, said some great things about their experience in the program. So yeah. we're excited about number two. Yeah. It'll be good. Uh, we also, in, in the spirit of launching new things this year, we launched, we just recently launched uh, a, a totally new thing that we're calling the MT Daily Dispatch, which is uh, every weekday we're going to be publishing, we have been publishing uh, videos and uh, photographs and uh, links to different things. And so it's basically this, this daily digital feed of uh, hand tool, woodworking, handcraft, furniture kind of stuff. Um, we have a ton of antique furniture around here, and a ton of uh, a ton of tools, uh, boxes of old tools, ongoing projects, ongoing projects. And so, uh, we thought, hey, you know what? We we just can't, we don't have enough time to blog about all this stuff. We can't sit down and do this. And so, uh, let's just if we could have some sort of you know shoot from the hip kind of steady stream of of content and make it easy, um, we could really put out a lot more than we are right now. Yeah. So that's what the dispatch is all about. Um, and we launched that what, like a week and a half ago and it's been, it's been awesome. People have been very interactive, sharing a lot of comments. And so it's kind of taking on a life of its own. So. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to, um, just be looking around and, and saying, okay, so what, what can we plan on sharing in the next days and weeks and months? Uh, I know that the house project coming up, which we're going to begin in earnest this winter and then move into uh, 2022, mm-hmm. is going to be uh, just a great source of um, content for the dispatch. Yeah, lots of uh, 
lots of timber framing, old house restoration, stuff like that with that project, in addition to all of the, the furniture making stuff. I mean, it's it's turning into this deluge, this, yeah. this overwhelming amount of information. So uh, we're excited about it. We think it's a really good complement to having this print magazine uh, with these, you know, twice a year, you get this big hefty print thing. And then to complement that with like a, a, a daily steady stream of digital content to kind of augment and, and fill it out, uh, it's, it's kind of a sweet spot for us. And there's a lot of interaction there, which is just so cool. So Yeah, yeah it, it is. It offers um, kind of behind the scenes look. Uh, and I think a lot of the content will be, uh, we'll build it around the magazine. We'll have uh, things regarding different articles and um, author interactions and things like that mm -hmm. as well. So we're coming upon um, issue 12 and rolling that out. And yep. uh, as we start to develop that issue and design it and things like that, you'll be seeing more about that process on the dispatch as well. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm going to be uh, scrambling to finish my project this yeah. week. And so there'll be stuff on the dispatch uh, about that. So, yeah, but so uh, in light of these things, in light of um, us uh, thinking about launching this online hand tool woodworking school, the apprenticeship program, and also launching this daily digital feed of videos and pictures and discussion, uh, we thought it's kind of ironic because we're coming up on about a year uh, since we've left social media. Yeah. About a year ago, uh, a little less than a year ago. Uh, we, we, you know, at that point we were on Instagram and Facebook a little bit, some, and I guess technically on Twitter, but, uh, our focus was on Instagram and we just finally got sick of it. Totally sick of it. Just like all of you are sick of it right? <laughs> because everybody I talk to agrees. Um, they know that this isn't healthy for us. And so we said, you know what? We don't want to be, I remember one person, uh, said to me, I was expressing grief about being on social media and all the, you know, whatever the turmoil and the drama it felt like junior high all over. Um, and one customer said to me in person at some conference, he said, yeah, but you know what? Uh, you guys are uh, the only reason I'm still on Instagram because yeah. there's still good stuff oh. there. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, well let me never be the cause for somebody to be on social media. Yeah. Right. So um, we uh, took a lot of time, thinking through making a smart move. Um, what we, what do we want to do? What do we feel good about? Uh, what kind of model do we want to set? And so we, uh, about a year ago, decided to pull the plug and we walked away from social media and it's, it's been great. So we were just thinking about that whole move and we thought we should talk about what that's been like uh, mm -hmm. and if that was a good move. And uh and now, ironically, at the same time, you know, we've been hearing this stuff in the news about the metaverse. Yeah. And Mark Zuckerberg is going to change our lives. Yeah. Uh, for the better, right? Right. So we thought uh, so many different uh, aspects between us launching the Daily Dispatch and us leaving social media a year ago and reflecting on the past year of being away from it and the metaverse that's going to save our lives now is here. It's going to change everything. We thought we wanted to talk about Woodworking in the metaverse. Yeah. The future of woodworking. <laughs> right? Yeah. Or is it? Or is it? Yeah. So woodworking in the metaverse. Um, you know, some of the reasons that we left social media were things like uh, the algorithm. You know, how 
uh, back in 2014, Facebook made some changes to the way posts uh, were uh, arranged on your feed, right? And it started giving uh, uh, precedent to uh, some of the, what it determined were more important posts. And that came, you know, the whole idea of sponsored posts arose then and uh, different things so that by 2020, um, most people's feeds were pretty heavily pop populated by sponsored posts or boosted posts. Uh, so much so that um, we, let's say we have X number of thousand followers on there, would post something about some great saw that we mm -hmm. had, had found and had tuned up and were using, and only a very small fraction would see it. To give you some concrete numbers, it was interesting. For those of you who, who are have business profiles on Instagram, you know what we're talking about. But um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't have business profiles, what we saw was, you know, when I started, I had, you know, obviously zero followers. And this is in 2015. And just started posting stuff, and people liked it and started following. And so I had it. It was really direct. People started following it, and they would see it. Right. And it was just sort of interaction. That was great. I really liked that. Uh, fast forward, we were on there for, you know, several years. I think it was five years or something, or maybe a little less. And we had at that point when we left, we had eighty thousand followers. And when we would post something, eighty thousand people said, "I want to follow M and T," right? And then I saw how many people actually viewed it. And there were three thousand people that viewed it. Right. And then likes are like you know six hundred to a thousand or something. I thought, well, that's so weird. Why is that? How can, I, how can I have that many people following and only 3,000 people? Very small fraction actually seeing the posts. And we learned, oh, that's why, because a lot of it's being held back because the algorithms are, are choosing certain ones. Then you can say, hey, if you want to boost your post and show more people your content, yeah. pay us. Yep. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. This isn't what it used to be. Yeah, and part of that uh, that paid promotional content is that as you're browsing around, as you're scrolling on Facebook and Instagram, uh, the the app, the platform is learning your preferences. It's learning what you like, and it's going to start to channel content to you. So mm -hmm. uh, it determines what kind of content Mortis and Tenon Magazine offers. And it starts, if you start paying, it will start feeding that to other people. And so really what you're receiving is not just a list of the things that like the people, the, the tool makers, let's say that you've chosen to follow. It is uh, Facebook, Instagram, Meta now. Meta's um, vision of what it is that you like and are interested in. So that's a little creepy. <laughs> and so we said, uh, that's, that's a good reason to walk away. Another was just uh, the all-consuming nature of it. Um, mm -hmm. It was a few years ago when Facebook and Instagram switched over to the endless scroll rather than you get to the bottom of the page and you hit next, right? Mm -hmm. So with the endless scroll, you always feel like there's something just around the corner. It's, it feeds this, uh, this aspect of our psychology, the, you know, the fear of missing out. And so we want to keep scrolling. And uh, people... Like the idea of killing time is a very new uh, possibility mm -hmm. uh, before centuries before uh, today. Uh, we, we didn't have really the time to waste. We couldn't just hang out and scroll. But now killing time is one of our favorite things to do. And uh, we were looking at that aspect of social media 
and saying, wow, so much of this is, it feels like, it's kind of like eating candy. It's like sugar. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it touches off some of the points in our brain, like the, the pretty uh, neurons start to fire or the interesting neurons start to fire, but it's a very superficial thing. And then you scroll on by and that content is gone. Um, so it's, it's just kind of tickling the taste buds, so to speak, of our brains. And uh, it's, it's not generating anything deep or lasting. Well, I think the thing that's so interesting about the killing time idea is um, if you ask somebody, you know, what do you wish you had more of in your life? They would say, I wish I had more time. Mm-hmm. I'm so busy. I don't have enough time for anything right. I want to do. And also we spend so much time killing time saying, oh yeah, I'm bored. So I don't have enough time and I'm bored. Yeah. Yeah. The average <laughs> all, all user the of social media spends, I mean, there are numbers all over the map. I was just looking at a study today that said 142 minutes a day on social uh. media. So, so that's a lot of time. This is so interesting because when we launched the apprenticeship program and we said, we're trying to encourage people to spend 10 or 15 minutes a day in the shop, yeah, just work wood for 10 or 15 minutes a day. We had a handful of people kind of, you know, push back on that. Like, ah, I, I there's no way I, I could find that, that time. I can't find that. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm sure there are a few people in the world that are in that situation, but most of the people that um, that are in this social media thing. If you're on social media spending 15 minutes a day, you could use it, spend it better shaping wood. Yeah. So I think a lot of people fall into that category. Um, there are so many people that are lost in this kind of stuff. And so the apprenticeship was an idea. The whole uh, idea behind the apprenticeship was saying, hey, we, I know we're all feeling so inspired by social media. How about let's unplug from that get off our butts and make something. Yeah, and so that's what the apprenticeship something. is about. It's about uh, Monday through Friday, daily challenging these students for eight weeks to just get some work done, just do it. Um, and so that's been, that's been really rewarding to see that. And we have a forum, we have students daily interacting. It's not like it's, you know, we're against uh, interacting uh, digitally. Right. It's that the, the format of these social media platforms discourage action they encourage you to sit and stare and, and chat. Right. Um, so that's the thing that we're mostly concerned about. So it's been good to see that and interesting to watch how our students have responded. Yeah, it, it definitely has been. Um, <clears throat> so our, our good friend, Cameron Turner, who uh, we first met here a few years ago at our first um, our summer workshop, right? Our pre-industrial immersion. He was one of our our students here. Uh, he lives in Colorado and uh, he builds furniture and other things and he's also a high school English teacher. So he wrote a few issues ago uh, a really great article about um, working with his his uh, English students on reproducing Henry David Thoreau's writing desk, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like high school English to me, but he, he just worked the curriculum <laughs> in very creative ways. He's sneaky. Yeah. I mean, but it's a great article and he, he's a really good writer. And so for uh, the past few months and, and ongoing into the future, he's been, um, a guest writer on our blog and, uh, he has written a blog post that is going to go up soon. Mm-hmm. It will probably be up by the time you hear this podcast. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. he just sent us the draft. We'll yeah. see where, where it fits. Uh, but he says, he says this, um, and you can get sort of the flavor of his blog post by this. He says, well, Instagram can, 
I guess, be pretty good for making connections with other woodworkers and seeing what cool stuff other folks are doing. The platform is ultimately best likened to a mosquito bite, sucking its user base for monetizable data while also creating an itch for us to post more and more forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> so um, Cameron, as, uh, as we have learned, is deciding to ditch Instagram as well. Congratulations, Cameron. <laughs> uh, but this is a this is a reflective and thoughtful blog post that he's put together, and it it's really aimed at people who are um, uh, the Instagram woodworkers and the the tension and the pressure you feel basically to perform uh, for your your audience for your followers, where this used to be an enjoyable hobby for you. Now you're trying to make it something uh, for, for someone else. You're trying to make it appealing for others in an attempt to, to gain uh, favor and likes and that sort of thing. And just the, the degree of pressure that comes with that. So, so I think the thing with this too is, I really truly believe, we all know this. You know, We can't sit here and say something that's gonna blow your mind like, I never considered <laughs> whether social media was helpful. I mean, we all know that. And that's why there are all these, you know, the social dilemma and all this stuff is coming out that people are talking about. Oh man, I realize I need to cut off from this or at least, you know, get control of it or something. So this is not news and it's not just our opinion. I, I think pretty much everyone sees that this can go really uh, awry really quick. Mm. But what we're uh, excited about is that you don't actually have to, you're not passive. It's not uh, fatalistic that you you are going to be sucked into this and there's no hope. Or right. if you are a woodworking business, you have to be on Instagram. We actually scheduled, when we walked away from social media, we scheduled in our year's schedule that in September we'd kind of evaluate how are we doing without social media? What do we think? What do we? How did it affect know, the business? How did it affect the yeah. business? Or is, is the business hurting now because of it? How do we have to change tack? How do we have to adjust? Whatever. We said in September, you know, what kind of check-in should we have here? And September came and went, and I, I asked everybody on the team, you know, should we have this meeting? What do we think? Should we get back on social media? And, and we, we just all laughed. just laughed <laughs> because it went so good. Yeah. We got so many emails from so many people saying, thank you for setting an example and getting off this thing. I, I wish I had the courage to get off social media. And we said, no, it's not about courage. It really isn't. It is better out here. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually <laughs> um, just choosing to walk into a nicer place. Like we're just driven by what what is more fun. <laughs> and for those of you who run businesses and you're trying to figure out that way, they said, yeah, but the problem is I run a business and I have to make money. And what we discovered in trying to figure this thing out, how do we get ourselves out of this, is we realized, oh, actually, the sales don't come directly from social media. Right. That those are the least uh, successful turnover rates uh, using Facebook or Instagram or something. Or yeah. maybe TikTok is huge. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe there are a that, lot of TikTok woodworkers. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I have never and will never look at that platform. But. So. But so what we learned is, no, actually, that is not how sales get to people, at least directly. Of course, it gives you broader exposure. If you pony up and you pay for all the ads, uh, all of the boosted posts, you will be able to show all of your followers what you're actually doing, and that would help you. But we realized, you no, know, for a small business starting out or, or just a small business maintaining 
they can't afford to reach all the followers they would naturally right. develop anyways. So it's not the democratic, uh, organic development sort of uh, marketing model at all that it was proposed to be. Yeah. So, um, that's, so all of this is good news. It's not just for people who uh, aren't businesses that they can get out of it, but it's also good news for businesses saying, you don't actually need this. We can all step away and be just fine without this. Yeah. So we are, our, think, our thought about it is not that it is um, 100% only bad. Right. It's that uh, the, the way that these platforms are designed discourage engagement. They discourage you to have uh, personal interaction, doing the thing that you just liked, <laughs> seeing somebody else make something cool, and you say, oh, I like that. I wish I could be like that. Yep. Like the next picture. I, w- I wish I could make dovetails like that. Yeah. And spending all day doing that, we're saying, hey, you actually can do that. Yeah, you should sit that down. Go try it. Yeah. And also, I think the um, the interaction, you know, a lot of people will cite saying, yeah, but, you know, you make so many good connections with people and you can talk with them. And of course, that's possible. Of course, it's possible to have a good conversation with somebody uh, by writing to them. But I think the vast majority of our interactions are not that way. Yeah. That the, the nature, the design of the platform is to discourage long, thoughtful, engaged discussion. Um, mostly it's reactionary. And so you see a, a post and you see what people are saying, all the yeah, comments below the comments it. comments and then you steer you, your you, chain of Yeah, thought. you exactly, you start thinking about, well, I have now, is it option A, B, or C? Yeah. Or is it D, all of the above? How like, will my opinion which, fit into this crowd? Which one am I? Yeah. And so it really, the, the, the idea, if, Rather than like reading a book or reading an article and receiving it and thinking, huh, what do I think about that? And then you could chat about it with a friend or something. That allows you space to be able to think. But when you have a platform that has a post, people respond and you can read them before you even have time to think for yourself what you think about it. It's giving you a thought template for how you ought to think. And I think there's a lot of that circular stuff. I don't know if you've searched in like even just in search engines, you search how to make wheat paste or whatever, some random thing, how to do this. And you look at the first website and you see the instructions. You go, okay, let me just see if there are some other instructions. And then you click on the second website. Oh, that's weird. It's the exact same wording mm-hmm. and the same pictures on yeah. a different website. That's weird, huh? Yeah. Well, let me see the third one. There's gotta be another recipe. And then you realize, no, they're all copying and pasting from the other <laughs> websites. That's right. And that is, it's such a circular, endless loop um, it's insular, very insular. And, and social media does the same thing, mm. that someone posts something and then other people know what they should be posting now right. to fit in. And they know, they see the comments below and they know what to comment now. And mm-hmm. it just becomes this circular thing. And everything we're about is the exact opposite. It's <laughs> <laughs> trying to yeah. get people to um, unplug from that loop and be able to uh, interact with the world and, and try things for themselves and go, huh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Or I don't get it. I, I want to know, know more. I want to know more about this. Um, <clears throat> so in the process of, we're talking about the apprenticeship program and the daily dispatch, we want to, and we wanted to look at social media and say, okay, let's, let's see what is good about this. Let's mm-hmm. not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What can we grab from this stuff 
and make use of in a way that's helpful and, and promotes engagement rather than disengagement. Um, so what's good about social media? What, what do people, <clears throat> like you were just saying, uh, in general, people say, talk about the connections that you can make. That's, that's a, a real thing. That yeah, I've made a lot offer. of connections back the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. I, I used to be able to make a lot of connections with people. Um, and so that part of it was really good. And then it was awesome when I went to, I remember exactly specifically going to woodworking in America, going to a conference and meeting, uh, you know, meeting Daryl and meeting Conrad and seeing Dan again and going, Hey, Oh, Hey, and it's great to see you and finally meet you face to face. And so that used to be something that was much more possible. It was sort of built into this, uh, natural organic interaction. Uh, which I just found was dwindling. That was not really so much the case anymore. Yeah. So we we wanted to try and and make connections. We wanted to uh, offer a way for our students to make connections. Um, and also when we're talking about the dispatch for for subscribers to come in and make connections and and to be able to ask questions and get interaction and and that sort of thing. Um, and also just there's the inspiration and the learning angle, which I remember when I first got on Instagram, I thought, oh, this is so cool. Look at what all these people are doing, all these beautiful pictures of of spoons and cabins and and uh, canoes and and furniture and tools. And I was just like, just so gaga over all of it. Yeah. And then you start to you, you scroll and you hit like and you hit favorite. Sometimes I had this little folder of, of favorite things. And then, you know, after a few months, some of the stuff really does start looking all the same. And all you're doing is you're having this immediate, like a visceral reaction to what you're seeing. You're saying, I like that. That's pretty. But I, I didn't really learn much of anything. Um, I would say the only way I, I learn much on Instagram is if there's someone in particular doing something, I'd click through and go find their website and see if they're making like videos of a process or something like that. Instagram isn't built around, you know, offering valuable tutorials, mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would say this though, also that I think there is legitimate inspiration that comes through that kind of thing. So it's not that it's not actually that inspiring. Like you were saying, it kind of wears off after a few months. That, that's somewhat true, but I, I guess I would say, I would almost argue the opposite. For me, I wouldn't say that the the novelty wore off. I would say that's actually part of the problem is that mm. it never wore off, mm-hmm. that I was always amused by other things. And so I was alarmed at how much time I was spending looking at amusing things right. out there yeah. and not and all that time that I wasn't spent spending, you know, actually making things or doing things. So to me, I think that's what's, um, you know, that, that's kind of just true of all technology. Te- technologies can enable us to do certain things, and that's great. And who would say, well, we don't want technologies to help us with stuff? That's not the issue. The issue is if the technologies are so, um, so obscured from our vision because they're so quotidian, so so daily and regular that they're just the it's the of courseness of life. Of course, you would you know check Instagram when you wake up in the morning, right? 
that is the point where it starts to become a problem. Yeah. It's not when it loses your attention. It, when it, it's when it constantly captures your attention. And so um, for me, I think that's, I would almost flip it. Although what you're saying I think is true, I would almost flip it the other way, that it's even more dangerous when it's not boring to us. Mm. Um, so we basically said, you know, how can we, we realize this stuff is super powerful. Obviously, even though we all know we are not healthy here, we all keep going back to it. So clearly there's something powerful. Um, and besides the the manipulative parts of the algorithm and, you know, the fact that slot machine designers have, you know, helped with the coding of the platform and all that stuff aside, besides that, I remember even when it was simpler and it was relatively you know, organic is a weird word to use, but just... <laughs> People, Facebook. people genuinely saw other stuff and just started following. Even at that, um, we realized that this, even that was powerful. Um, and so we thought, okay, this stuff is powerful and we want to not just throw it all out. And so the, so the apprenticeship program was all about that. So we wanted connection. We yep. wanted people to be able to have genuine dialogue. But I think also what we found is um, there is no such thing as free anything. So Instagram is not free. Mm. <laughs> you can sign up and you're going to get advertised to all the time. That's the cost of it. Um, you can sign up for a free Spotify and you're going to get an ad every four songs or right. whatever. It's not free. It's it's the attention economy. Exactly. Right? And that's why we talk about that a lot with the magazine. The fact that we don't have any advertising in the magazine because we don't want to sell our readers attention. We, we want that space occupied by valuable content. Um, the attention economy is built around the value of the average consumer's uh, minutes spent on, you know, looking at advertising, looking at sponsored posts. There's a value attached to that. And so um, <clears throat> these, these platforms are, are designed knowing the dollar value of your seconds and your minutes. So... Yeah, we're, we wanted with the apprenticeship program to, to take those good things and, and use them as a way of teaching hand skills. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, both of us, both you and I, Joshua, agree that uh, YouTube is a valuable place to, to learn stuff. To, to be able to see techniques is different than reading about them. Mm -hmm. To see how, how an artisan, like, holds himself or, or holds this tool or how how she approaches the work mm -hmm. you know um that's different than reading about it and yep. uh it can be a, a powerful tool uh to use to to learn mm -hmm. and i have to resist clicking on the recommended reaction video <laughs> So-and-so reacts to, right. oh man, that is exactly what we don't need is more yeah. of that, more reacting. Yeah. And I'm entertained by watching someone else react wildly to some other person who's an right. idiot. Oh man, that right. is like the epitome. That of all must have started with um, reality TV, like Survivor. And then because what, what really feeds us there is the drama of how other people deal with a situation. You're watching like a train wreck and you're seeing how people are responding and you're like, I'm glad that's not me, but this is so entertaining. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like that, I mean, I'm yeah, sure but this is one step that. beyond you're watching somebody watch someone else. Yeah. Imagine like the weirdest watching, thing ever. Uh, <laughs> like you just video yourself watching TV and then someone else watches that. 
to see how you respond at certain moments. Isn't that a little odd? Does that say something strange about us? Uh, so yeah. Um, so the Daily Dispatch was uh, something in a similar vein. Yeah, basically we said, okay, so this is awesome. We want to share stuff. And we're not, I mean, this is not anti-digital at all. Obviously I'm recording this thing on my iMac. We're excited about being able to share this this podcast online for people. Digital media is powerful to, to uh, spread stuff fast and people and... Mumbai can listen to this podcast. Yeah, the minute after it's posted. Shout out to our Mumbai listeners. Yes. Yep. Hey, everybody. Uh, so we think that's awesome, and being able to take pictures. Not everybody has a pile of antique furniture, and so we're blessed with having you know several examples around us, many examples, antique tools. So hey, what can we do to use the technologies available to us to take pictures and videos and then talk about it and then send it. And then people say, Hey, can you show me the inside of that? And I go, Oh yeah, sure. And then yeah. I make another it's, video and it's share immediate. that. It's easy. That's the whole idea of the dispatch is this, it's basically ripping all the ads out of it and having people back together again. So I think the thing about like the apprenticeship program is it was such, it was such a huge pool of people because it was public that nobody could really go through everything together. But in the apprenticeship program, it was a closed group of people. So they were really sharing pictures from their house, yeah, uh, sh showing pictures of their chickens yeah. to each other. Uh, and whatever, they just, it was a very personal thing. So all of the apprentices got to know each other really well. They, shared, they chose to share cell phone numbers with each other. They're gonna get together face to face. And that kind of thing is much more rare on a public platform. People aren't I mean, I hope you're not saying all this personal stuff about yourself yeah. publicly for you shouldn't all the, be, all the so world you know. to, to hear. So we wanted to be able to have that thing with the dispatch, that it was sort of this smaller group of people, that it wasn't just public. It wasn't just, you know, moving through all the ads. It was truly just some people sharing pictures of stuff, getting interactions back. Um, we're trying to figure out ways that we can have our dispatch followers post pictures as well. So we can just have this back and forth dialogue. That to us is super exciting. That's yeah. what we want. That's what it should have been. That's yeah, what it that's kind of like was the supposed to be, I the, thought. The the ideal version of what could be a social media is that, you know, we talk about how social media makes it possible for people with similar interests around the world to connect. Well, mm -hmm. what if we could keep it there? What if people with similar interests could just stay connected through that? And it's just those people with those similar interests. And when you want to go and learn more about antique furniture, you go in and check in and see what's going on mm -hmm. with your friends who like antique furniture. And you're not bombarded with other stuff like top-down uh, sponsored posts and things applied to you because... Uh, someone believes that maybe they can make a buck off of you. Um, or even worse, the, the pressure to feel, uh, the, to feel the pressure to speak publicly, to make an, a public opinion about something going on politically. Right. Um, Facebook was like that for a long time. That's why I stopped using that. And then Instagram was relatively, at least my feed was pretty clean. And, you know, a few years ago, it started turning sideways that everybody felt the cultural pressure to speak out, right? to, to pick sides and to say something. And that was the beginning of the end for me. I was like, that's it. I can't, this is not what this was supposed to be about. This is yeah. about people sharing, inspiring each other, not about biting at each other and picking sides and villainizing other people. So we said, 
you know, let's scrap that and let's let's try to create a, a platform that people can actually truly just share stuff they're excited about. Yeah. You know, that we can just show pictures and we're again trying to figure out how they can share pictures with us and people can just talk about handcraft. Whatever happened to that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know. I mean, so digital media is again, it's really valuable for making those connections, but there are limits beyond which it is sort of it is just a a divisive tending technology. Um, so we wanted to take the good and leave the bad. So one question that we get sometimes, uh, or that is insinuated sometimes is, are we Luddites? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay. So Ned no, Ludd, no. No. what was, what was he all about? You know, what's interesting is I, it's still not, uh, there's no scholarly consensus whether Ned Ludd actually existed or not, mm. um, which is sort of an aside because there were people who were Luddites. Yeah. But a lot of the, um, the, the, the rebels who signed these letters uh, burning down these mills uh, signed it Ned Ludd, and they're not sure if that's like a real person or yeah. not. Some people think he was, but, but the point was just the, the frame breakers, these, these weavers who were... Um, who were technologically displaced, that um, new weaving technology came in and they said, they saw the writing on the wall saying, this is gonna destroy our livelihoods. It's gonna destroy our community because this is how we work. Right. And you're gonna bring machines in to do, you know, whatever one, one weaver, one guy can do uh, now with these machines, what 50 of us could do, or I don't know what the numbers yeah. were, but it was huge. And so it was displacing a whole community of, of uh, artisans. And so they were legitimately upset about it and said, you can't do this to us. And so they actually, I mean, I, I would say, honestly, there are some people who like to jokingly call themselves Luddites. And I, I don't, I was kidding. I actually uh, don't, I'm not a big fan of the Luddite movement because it was actually a violent movement. Yeah. Um, they're kind of defined by that. Yeah, They are a violent, it's like a terrorist group, basically. So they actually were... Um, breaking into these these mills, um, wrecking the machinery, killing the owners and burning the places down. So a lot of them were hanged for it and stuff. So it's not, I don't think it's actually at all a noble uh, term to latch onto or try to redeem. Um, however, their concern was technological displacement. And that concern has a long, uh, long track record. So in that sense, I think I'd say, you know, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us with social media are uh, maybe less concerned about our livelihoods being displaced. Some of us may be concerned about that. But I think also I would say there's sort of this um, this social displacement that's happening that we feel like now are interacting with our neighbors and interacting with uh, people at work. And when you're working from home, Right. You do not interact with the right. person you work with. You're you're separated by design. By design, <laughs> That's the so, whole intention. And so, um, so this whole thing, I think, this technological displacement, this social distancing or anti-social distancing, that you're supposed to leave space between people because we don't want people to interact. Um, that has a really uh, severe effect on our psyches, and so I think that's a lot of what. Um, it reminds me of the Luddite thing and that they're saying, we're not 
anti-gears or anti-machinery right. per se. Yeah. We're anti-displacement. Don't yeah. kick people out for technological development. Yeah, we're against this use of this technology. Yep. Um, yeah, so our our goal was to look to use this technology to to deepen engagement with the world, mm -hmm. not to remove it, not to replace it, not to offer some uh, utopian vision of a an artificial world where people can go to interact, but to say, this is what we want to offer. We want to offer a degree of teaching, a degree of interaction with the goal that you go and make room in your life for actual engagement with tools and materials, mm -hmm. that you become a lifelong uh, learner and also a lifelong maker of real things, real tangible things in the real world. Uh, so that gets us into uh, this rather uh, dystopian vision that's being <laughs> thrown out there for us, right? Um, <clears throat> so, so we were we were thinking about titling this podcast "Kids These Days." But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we could just sit on our rocking chairs and rock back and forth, and you could hear the squeak of the chairs as we say, "All oh, those kids these days," because <laughs> um, you know part of this could come across as curmudgeonly if no. if you didn't know if you didn't know us you know if you didn't know who we were um but yeah part part of our migration away from uh instaface as we like to call it was driven by um we were we we're seeing the writing on the wall we're looking at and maybe it's a logical fallacy but the slippery slope right we see where this is headed we can see what's going on here, um, and this isn't this isn't just like conspiracy theory type stuff where you're like, oh well, it's it's the lizard overlords are gonna come and take over, and this is how they're brainwashing us. That was not a motivator right. for for either of us. Yeah, because we don't mind that. No, that's, that's fine. fine. I mean, hey, if they're if they're like <laughs> nice lizards, as long as they know best. Yeah, as long as, long as they like <laughs> hand tools, we're fine with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's just based empirically. Like we could see the d damage yeah. and destruction done by social media, like like most or all of you listening can also see. Um, but Joshua, in your uh, some of your book research and stuff like that, you were stumbling across some things, which yeah. So well, it was interesting because I I've been working on a book for uh, I don't know a year and a half or so, working out a, a manuscript about. Um, technology and um, engagement with your hands. And um, I think a lot of this too, we're talking about deepening engagement and that's our goal. Um, and if you think about um, the difference between how I've conceived of it, although it's only one way to describe it, there are a lot of theories of technology, but if you compare a tool to a technology, a tool is something by definition that is an extension of your hand. So you are the agent and you are doing something and the tool is enabling you, is extending your reach to be able to do something more. So like a hammer or something like that, right? It's extending your reach. So you still are doing the work. And a technology is that something, is, is something that instead of being an extension of your hand, the point of the technology. So if you follow that, so the point, the whole idea behind how the thing works is to displace your hand by setting up some sort of jig or something mechanical or something digital that's going to um, 
supplant your agency to say, listen, I know you don't have the skill to do this one task, or you can put it in the first person saying, I know I don't have the skill to accomplish this cut. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a jig that ensures that it's only this far. I'm going to set the saw plate to be exactly 90. And you know this is you know like what David Pye called the workmanship of certainty. Right. And so this is a technological way to replace agency that a person's no longer controlling the saw plate or the depth of cut or whatever because you've stops and jigs and whatever. So that's the that's the technological development that that's heading that direction. So obviously all these, um, all instruments are on this continuum of tools and technologies. So it's interesting if you think about that, you think about, start looking at all of your tools. If you're listening right now in your shop, look at your workbench top and look at those tools and say, what aspect of this given tool has a stop Hmm. or a fence Mm -hmm. or like a, a hand plane that the depth of cut is fixed by the wedge? Something is regulated and set. Something is regulated and set. And what at, and what kinds of tools are sort of free work or workmanship of risk, or they're really dependent on my hand being able to guide the tool, yeah. say a hatchet or something like that. And so it's not to say which which of those are good or bad, but the point is to say, it's, I think it's a valuable thing to identify the differences. So if you say, I'm a woodworker because I love to work with my hands, and I, it's so satisfying to be able to take a shaving, it's so satisfying to be able to pair right to the line, then I would say a, a, a tool that is heavily jigged, i.e. a technology, you're technologizing your tools, that's not going to get you there. Mm. If you're looking for satisfaction and a sense of agency, that's not going to get you there. Now, that would be great if you're starting a factory, but if you're trying to feel satisfaction, you won't find that. So I found this so interesting because I was studying, I was looking at different tools and technologies in the wood shop, and I saw this thing, I'm sure you're familiar with it, called the Shaper Origin. And it's this... It's the uh, future. It, it's this handheld CNC machine. And so it's like a, a router. It's like a handheld router, but it's CNC controlled, so you map it all out, and then you you push the thing across the surface of the wood that's yeah. all mapped out. But if you're, you kind of follow the track and the router bit, you know, automatically goes to your line and cuts. And if you go too far, if you move away from the line, it automatically adjusts the bit. So it's cutting dead on. And if you go too far, it, it instantly retracts the blade. So it doesn't ruin the workpiece. Yeah. So basically you control, you offer the macro, movement for the yep. cutter head the micro movement is within the little tool and if your clumsy macro movement is too great it'll retract it'll prevent you from say, messing up the work yeah say stop you got to reset so now of course there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that when i hit print on my computer i want all my h's to look like h's yeah. right you want that's it to fine be legible that's great and predictable but what's interesting is the the advertising for this thing started off the very first words were make <clears throat> making things should be easy. Mm-hmm. And then launched to pitch this whole thing saying, you know, this whole idea of craftsmanship and it being too hard, all that, forget all that. Because making things should be easy. You should not have to develop skills because we have this thing that helps you focus on design. So yeah. you don't have to be able to make this cut. Now, again, if you're trying to do uh, repeatable operations, I, I've heard some people are using it for inlay and stuff. That's great. That's great. That's fine. But I think it's, it's, we can't confuse that with 
craftsmanship or woodworking in the sense, you know, some people contrast woodworking and wood machining, like Jim Tolpin talks right. about this and other people talk about that. And I think there's something to that because it's a technologizing of craft. Um, when you think about um, the word technology, it's, it's a compound of two words, technology. Techne is the Greek for craft and ology is the, it's like the science over the study of, right? And so you're, it's the scientific approach to craft. That's technology. So it's taking a craft activity and making it scientific and mm -hmm. mechanical and um, outsourced, you know? So to me, I just, I found that to be so revealing that, um, that at least this company was pitching this as the future of woodworking. Right. And it got my mind thinking about like, where would this be headed? If you, if yeah. you followed this track, this, this What's thought process, slippery slope? Where, what would be the next logical step? I'm just trying to track with what, what these people are envisioning as the way forward. And the way forward would be, I, I actually was drafting out this thing. And I, I will confess, I felt embarrassed by it. Mm -hmm. To write it down, I said, I am going to have most people tell me, Klein, this is way over the line. This is so silly. You're just turning this into yeah, something. It's like it's a not Jetsons be level Jetsons, caricature. Please. Right. But I said, well, you know, like it would make sense to me that you would have virtual reality woodworking. That you you put the glasses on and you say, okay, I'm in my shop. And you can choose the dream shop. You yeah. know, you have the overlook over the mountains with the big picture window. And you have, you can choose your bench. You can scroll through the new Rubeau bench or the Nicholson. Yeah. And probably you can buy a, a bench. Yeah. You know, you could download the bench and have that there. transaction there. And so roll with me. I hope you're rolling your eyes, right? Because I was rolling my eyes even saying this. I'm trying to just track with what would this be like for people who are tr who really want to experience the best of the best in this this idea. Mm -hmm. So they would have the tools and they could choose every back saw that they wanted with you know made up imaginary woods for for the totes for the handles and they could look at the plans and scroll through all the list of all the plans of all the furniture they could imagine and download the plans and the plans you know you could put the the saw uh, it's all virtual but you put the saw on the wood of your choice whatever yeah. wood you want and you make that those dovetails and you know what They're Perfect. They're perfect. They fit so perfectly. They're cut beautifully and exactly according to the plan. Yeah. No dovetail is out of out of whack. And you could put this whole thing together virtually and and assemble this. And then, but someone would say, but that'd be dumb because yeah, you can't you actually have use it. Real. Yeah. But what you could do is you could say, great, print, and a three D printing company could print this thing for you and have it freighted to you to your house and you could say i made that i crafted this furniture i've crafted it right so i think the thing is i'm i felt really embarrassed to even write that because that seems so absurd i hope many people now listening are rolling their eyes yeah um because that seems so far out but we're seeing this stuff uh become more and more of a reality and as people are saying oh please that is it's a different kind of craft, but it is craftsmanship. Just because, you know, your the saw is guiding perfectly on the dovetail doesn't mean someone didn't actually do it. Right. <laughs> you know, so you can see how this is going, how the technologizing of the craft uh, could potentially move down <clears throat> this this path where people feel like they actually made that chest of, of drawers. Right. Well, I mean, one of the one of the dimensions there 
that um, Matthew Crawford has written about in several of his books, but I'm going to pull some here from Shop Class as Soulcraft. Um, it's the phenomenon of, uh, of the way that now choice or options are sold as creativity. Yep. So with the Shaper Origin, uh, you don't have an infinite number of possible ways to use that tool. You select from a menu of shapes. You can put together your your project from a menu, and you scroll through. Like there's an on uh, on the Shaper Origin itself, you can select through shapes and select this and choose dimensions and all that. Um, but you're also limited to flat stuff, right? Sheet goods. Um, so there there are multiple limits there. But within that framework, you have a number of choices which are sold to you as uh, your creative options. So Crawford, first he starts talking about the way that car dealers use uh, their very limited list of options to market to you the fact that this is the way that you express your creativity. He talks about um, Scion, the, the Toyota offshoot, which is marked at youth. It's, it's, mar it's marketed towards youth. He says, if you go to a Toyota dealership and look at those Scions, <coughs> excuse me, you get a brochure full of pictures of crazy custom Scions and profiles of the custom fabricators who have built them, typically with a welding helmet perched just so on their heads. And so the idea is that these are people with agency. These are people with skill, right? And then the point is to sell a line of accessories, which can be combined in so many ways that one such combination is sure to capture, quote, your unique personality, unquote. <laughs> so notice the, um, you know, like the nod to agency, the dude wearing a helmet, to personality, that is the expressive self whose autonomy is realized in and indeed simply is the array of choice that lies open before him or her. But choosing is not creating, however mm. much creativity is invoked in such a marketing. Yep. And then he goes and starts talking about this thing that uh, back when he wrote this book, it was, I guess, sort of the big deal um, in town. The idea of the Build-A-Bear. Have you ever seen the Build-A-Bear? I've seen they're, it. They're in shopping yeah. malls, right? <laughs> um, so the idea of a Build-A-Bear is you go into the mall and you, you know you bring your kids and it's cute and uh, it says children are said to make their own teddy bears he says I went into one of these stores as it turns out what the kid actually does is select the features and clothes for the bear on a computer screen then the bear is made for him some entity has leaped in ahead of us and taken care of things already with a kind of solicitude the effect is to preempt cultivation of embodied agency that sort that is natural to us. And so then children so preempted will uh, be more well-adjusted to emerging patterns of work and consumption. They're less likely to suffer the kind of agitation experienced by my hypothetical angry bathroom user. He talks about this earlier. It's a pretty funny story. Uh, so anyway, the whole idea is that those who have marketed these options as uh, basically the way that we can work creatively to express ourselves. He says, the marketers seem to grasp that it is not the product, but the practice that is really attractive. Mm. And so their goal in marketing is to make their product feel to us like a creative practice. Yep. So with these technologies more and more, 
um, we are we are doing less with skill, but uh, we are feeling more. Uh, what's what's the term? Empowered. Like, empowered. Yes, we like I. I would have a difficult time building a teddy bear from scratch, but I can go and engage my my creative longings at the Build-A-Bear in the mall and come up with uh, choosing from a menu. I can come up with this Build-A-Bear, which then I have created. Mm-hmm. Right. And I um, think the thing is about that too, like if you think of woodworking, um, I think a lot of woodworkers would say, well, I wouldn't want to build furniture like that, that I just choose the options and then it assembles it for me. And that's fair. I get that. That's not what woodworkers typically think of. But I think the thing is, um, we're all at a certain place. We all have a certain skill level. And I think if we say what I think Crawford's warning about and what Mike apparently is warning about, (laughs) um, is that apparently is that the, the choice to, to select, to choose options over developing personal skills is um, is not going to give you the sense of satisfaction and agency that I have right. this skill. It's actually going to shortcut that so that you are never able to develop yeah, that. You exactly. always are a consumer and feel like, man, someday I would really love to, but I just don't have the skills, so I'm going to depend on this jig. Now, if you depend on a jig, that's fine for where you're at. That's great. But you obviously yeah. want to be able to it's like better and training wheels this. on your bike. Yeah. They're great for teaching how to ride your bike, but then you should take them off so you can have the freedom of riding your bike. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, just it seems like all these these ways of of jigging up our creative process with a limited list of options, right? It's as our skills are going away, which I don't know that anyone could argue that we are losing hand skills to a very frightening degree as our skills are going away the market is inventing ways for us to feel like creative agents yep. to feel like we're expressing ourselves at the click of a button at the click of all a button. that you can do yep or uh with the uh with the dawn of the meta metaverse right yeah the future we now if i don't know if anybody out there has seen uh, any of the ads for the metaverse where uh, Zuckerberg is standing there in his artificial environment and he goes and, and all of a sudden somebody pops up and they're talking to him saying, hey, you come in? He's like, yeah, I have to decide what to wear. And so he goes and swipes through his outfits. and uh, For his avatar. For his avatar, his, yep. his artificially constructed self within the metaverse. So it's this 3D digital place where you're, you're sitting on your sofa with your, your virtual reality goggles experiencing this place and it is a place where you can go and buy stuff you can play games you can interact with people the the goal of it is to um basically allow all your interactions to take place in an artificial uh setting yeah um and so you know it culminates in zuckerberg and his friends uh playing some card game in a space station in orbit and they're like whoa this is and one really of them cool. is a robot and one of them is a floating lady and it's all yeah and because so they can you, be whoever they want to be not who they really are right you were saying that some of the advertising uh, related to it is how you can finally feel comfortable inside your own skin yeah it was somewhere else it wasn't from facebook but yeah that this that this metaverse enables you to feel finally comfortable to be who you really are mm-hmm. to be comfortable in your own skin which is ironic because 
you're not in your skin. You're in your avatar, right. who you apparently really are. Um, and so I think the thing about this that's so interesting is if you're 30 or older listening to this podcast, I hope you with us are rolling your eyes saying, you guys get off it. You sound like old people. Mm-hmm. But this is actually Zuckerberg is is capturing the hearts of a lot of people, that okay. a lot of people do think that this is the future. And so I don't think we need to be um, uh, anti-digital or you know uh, trying to be uh, warning about using any certain given technology, but I think we need to we do need to be careful uh, about telling people it's so good because you can finally do the things that you're not able to do in real life. You right. can finally be you. You can finally cut perfect dovetails. You can finally, you know, be whatever you can, whatever species you want to be, and float around in this space or whatever is right. going on in that video. You know, you can finally be the person who you really actually aren't in reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I think is is the the downfall. Um, so I think woodworkers get that. They get that they're tangible people. They get that I like woodworking because I like challenging myself. Right. And challenge is not something to avoid. It's something to embrace. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that strikes me as, as really interesting with all this is just this um, this idea that, you know, every time Facebook has made a change to their platform, for the most part, people get upset about it. They complain about it. They're like, this is a stupid change. Yep. But then they fall in line because mm-hmm. what do you do? Where else do you go? It's like the town that Walmart has moved into and kicked out all the mom and pop stores and then it's just Walmart or you have to drive 40 miles. You go, oh, I hate going to Walmart, but what, what else am I going to do? Yeah. So Facebook is like that. Like, uh, you, If you'd see me, I'm doing air quotes. Everybody's on Facebook. So how am I going to share pictures of the kids with grandma? You know how she how, has to be on the metaverse. Yeah. So now and she looks twenty five. By yeah, the way, yeah, exactly. Her avatar, <laughs> who she really yeah, is, <laughs> and she can fly. Um, so, but w- what that is doing is, so a lot of us will look at this stuff and we'll go, "Oh my word, this is ridiculous." Instagram is now part of Meta. Facebook is Meta. WhatsApp is Meta, and so they're going to work all these together, and we're going to say, "That's stupid. That's dumb." But then we're just going to accept it and mm-hmm. keep going, and so that track will eventually make all this seem commonplace. And Joshua, like you were saying, that that picture you had of the uh, the virtual woodworker, which yeah, seemed no one will ridiculous. Laugh. No one will laugh. It, it, somebody is working on that right now. You know, like that, I guarantee that that is a way of being creative in the metaverse that someone is working on. How do we get real things for your home out of work in the metaverse? So... I mean, a big part of the How drive do we bring these it, worlds together? Yes. Yeah. The <laughs> I can hear the marketing world. pitch now. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what? a part of the apprenticeship program that's been really cool is um, the chance it's given us to connect with some awesome people who we're going to stay in touch with and uh, we're, you know, get to meet at some point here in the future. Um but we've had some some great and thoughtful conversations and, and email and letter exchanges with with these folks. Um, one of our students, uh, Ben, who's from Australia, uh, he and I have been writing back and forth about some of this stuff. And he asked, 
what what we think about all this metaverse stuff. He knew. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, he's he, he's a super thoughtful guy. Uh, but we we exchanged back and forth, and um, I just pulled an, an excerpt from our our conversation here. Um, it, I I said to him, I said, but really everything built in the metaverse can go away in the blink of an eye or the sneeze of a server. Folks might spend hours sitting on the sofa with their VR goggles, building their own happy place, being quote unquote social with their friends avatars, but there's nothing authentic about it. In contrast, and this is, this is a big point. In contrast, there is a real interactive and compelling thing out there called the universe that we can all engage with. The stuff we make out there can outlast us, and the graphics are amazing. Yeah, it almost looks real. It almost looks real. You know, like that sunset over there? That <laughs> is so pretty. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this time tomorrow you'll get another one. But maybe not. And that's what's so fun about it is you might not. Yeah. That it's uh, every day is new. Every day is a, a gift and a, and a blessing, and you can uh, engage with this world as it's coming to us as opposed to what we order custom to our desires. Right. So that's, for us, that's what woodworking is all about. It's all about engagement with the world. We had an episode yeah, all about world. that, the podcast episode, engagement with the world, uh, taking uh, the, the world as a gift, choosing to interact with it, something that is beyond us, uh, outside of our skill set, say, what is this crazy wood grain? How do I work with it? Instead of saying, how can I recode this grain so that it obeys what I want it to do? Right. Um, and so that's what woodworkers know. And I, th I think that most people listening to this podcast are saying, amen, I know, of course, that's why we love woodworking. Um, and so our, our takeaway from all of this is, you know, let's, let's use these technologies, like this podcast technology and the daily dispatch, that, you know, being able to share pictures and video to inspire people to stand up and do stuff and make stuff to share it with each other. Um, that's, I think, the best use for these technologies not to disburden us by displacing us. Hmm. So that's our message. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we have kind of come to, and what we uh, we feel like uh, this next generation needs to keep hearing. Yeah. So uh, so keep making stuff in the real world. You know, those nicks on your fingers uh, are valuable things because it shows that you're really engaging with your materials and your tools. Um, so thank you, everyone, for listening to the Mortis and Tendon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, as always, if you have questions or comments, uh, send them our way, and we'll be happy to answer them. Uh, we will talk to you next time. Keep it real.